Hello and welcome to the Perusia podcast. I'm Shabil Race, your host, uh, director at Perusia, and we have a, a great friend on today, um, the founder, the director, the Pilgrim Guide from Footprints of God series, and his name is uh, Steve Ray. This is the third uh, show of a series. We're doing a pilgrimage through the Footprints of God, and we've already gone through the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, and Numbers. Now we're going to go through Joshua, Judges, and then look at the Kings. And let's go now to the United States, where Steve Ray is joining us live. Hello, Steve. Hello, Charbel. Thank you for and joining us today. I just have today. to say... I love your namesake. Can I say that uh, St. Charbel, because we had two daughters who were infertile. Doctors said they could not have babies. And we interceded with, uh, had uh, St. Charbel intercede for us, even had a friend go up to Lebanon and leave their pictures at his tomb. And my daughter just now, uh, three days ago, had her second natural born baby. So that's ba- grandbaby number 18. Wow. Praise be to God. Congratulations. And thank you to St. Charbel. <laughs> yep. St. Charbel. He's a good one. He is. He is. You know, uh, it, you've you've got my the book uh, that you endorsed, my book, and I uh, start the, the whole story with that story, how my mum asked for his intercession to save my life. And thank God it came through. <laughs> yep. Um well, you're excited for today. Um, this is now where I'm, I'm holding up the DVD in my hands. It's uh, the third DVD in the series, or chronologically, so to speak. And we've been doing a virtual Bible study or virtual pilgrimage. And we, we already did um, from Adam all the way through uh, all the, um, the early prophets up, up until um, Joseph in the Old Testament. Then we went through Exodus. That was fun. We, we, we squeezed it in. But now we're up to Joshua and Judges. And then we're going to uh, dive into David and Solomon, right? Yep. Should I be able to see you, Charbel? Just a technical question here. Oh, there's no, we can't do it at this stage. Uh, oh, okay. Because that's from right. the studio. I just wanted to make sure it was working right. But it is working. We can see, see you. Um, just hear, do people see me or just hear me? They can see you. Oh, boy. That's scary. Okay. <laughs> that's right. They can see you and hear you. Okie dokie. Yes, we we went through the creation and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's really the whole book of Genesis. And then we went through the book of Exodus, the uh, Moses and the children of Israel in bondage for over 400 years. And then they're wandering in the wilderness. And now we left them with Moses dying on Mount Nebo in the country of modern day country of Jordan. And uh, the, the children of Israel are gathered there at the eastern side of the Jordan River and they're ready to cross into the promised land. And it's so exciting for them because their forefathers had been promised this land. That was over almost 500 years earlier. Just imagine how old is the country of Australia? I know our country is only 250 years old. So for almost twice the age of United States, these people have not seen their homeland. All of their ancestors died in Egypt or died in the wilderness. Now this generation is standing on the shore and their land is going to be theirs, but it's not going to be theirs easy. They're going to have to fight for it. This is going to be swords and bows and arrows and slingshots and military campaigns. Once they get across that river, they are now in the middle of a long drawn out battle to conquer the land before they could have it. That's why they had to go into Egypt, by the way, because there was only 72 uh, in the family when they went into Egypt, not enough to take over the land that God promised them. But now they came out in the Hebrew uh, language Bible. It says that they were 
600,000 fighting men who carried the sword. And they're just chomping on the bit to cross that river and take over that land that God had promised them. So that's where we pose ourselves right now. So we come up to Joshua. Um, who? What does the, the name Joshua mean? Joshua is the same name as Jesus. Okay. Joshua is in Hebrew. Jesus is the same name in Greek, and it means Savior. So when you look at Moses and Joshua together, you get the whole picture of Christ in a sense, because Old Testament characters like this are prefigurations of Christ. So you have Moses, the one that leads the exodus out of the land of Egypt, away from the devil and slavery and Egypt. That's the picture of the Christian's enemies and you being the devil, the, or the world and sin. And he leads them across and he fights through them, gives them water, baptism, gives them the Eucharist in the wilderness and brings them all around. And now Joshua who is Jesus, even his name means that, brings them across the Jordan River into the promised land. So Moses and Joshua together picture us, God of Jesus, taking us all the way out of the land of sin and slavery through the wilderness of this world and eventually bringing us across into the promised land of heaven. So that's what Joshua means, Jesus. And he was commissioned by Moses. He didn't just rise up and get elected. Nobody took up an election. They didn't have democracies back in those days. <laughs> and it was kingdoms. And by the way, the church is not a democracy either. Jesus never promised us a democracy of God. It's the kingdom of God. And they run differently than democracies do. And um, Moses, he was a little bit frustrated because he's old. He knows he's going to die. And he's not going into the promised land. And he says, God, what, who's going to lead these people? I've been leading them now for 40 years, and they're a stubborn, stiff-necked people. And there's many times where they've tried to kill me and where you've tried to even kill them. And I've interceded for them, and I brought them all over here. They're really hard to work with and deal with. And once I'm gone, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be like a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. They're just going to go running in every direction. And God says, Joshua has been with you from the beginning. He is a man that's strong and capable. Bring Joshua in front of Eleazar the priest. And in the book of Numbers, chapter 27, it says, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, who has, in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. And the priest is there, and he's commissioned. And you shall put some of your authority on him in order that the congregation of Israel may obey him. Notice two things there. It's done in, the, it's done in a liturgical way with the priest present who is going to bless this and who is going to commission him. Yes. But it's also, it's, an ad, it's a thing of succession. Moses is now going to die, but Joshua is going to succeed him. This is the way it always is with God's people, and that's the way we do it today. When Peter died, there was another who was commissioned by the laying out of hands named Linus, and then Cletus, then Clement, and it's the same with the bishops and the priests in the church. There's the succession, the laying on of hands. I always like to say that when Moses was told, lay your hands on Joshua and some of your authority and dignity will go into him. What would have happened if Joshua said, no, no, I don't think I'm, if Moses, I'm sorry, Moses had said, no, you know what? I don't think I'm going to lay hands on him. I'm just going to pray for him. What would have happened? Would he have been ordained? Would he have been ready to go? I don't think so because God wanted it a certain way. And already we see here, the importance of laying on of hands, of passing on authority in the mm -hmm. church even today, and the uh, investiture of that authority. The calling and the commission goes from one bishop to the next. And uh, this yes. is the way that the kingdom works. So that is how Joshua was chosen by God through the laying on of hands of Moses to 
take over Moses's job to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And when the water parted, one of the cool things is when Joshua came up to the to the Jordan River, here comes the test. They got to get across the river. And by the way, here's a picture of the river where they went across. It's not as deep today. Um, oh, I wow. always like to say the Jordan River is the Mississippi of Israel, but it's not very wide, very deep. But during the spring, it is, and it can be pretty um, a pretty busy river. But when they stepped up to that water, what's going to happen? How are they going to get across? And Joshua tells the water to part. And all of a sudden, just like the authority of Moses caused the Red Sea to part, the mm -hmm. wind blew and the sea parted and they walked across on dry land. Now we see the Jordan River do the same thing. There's a city up to the north called Adam. And it says up in Adam, and you can you still know where that is today. We still know where that that, that um, settlement of Adam was at the time of Moses and Joshua. And that water stood still and piled up until all of those people went across. And they put twelve stones to mark the twelve tribes of Israel, and they went across onto the dry land and up into the land. And now they had to pull their swords. But first, Charbel, before they pulled their swords, they had to pull something else. They had to pull out their flint knives. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Whenever I talk about the flint knife, guys, girls don't, but guys always kind of go, oh, <laughs> and they kind of cross their legs. But before I get to that, let me just say that at this point in the Jordan River, it's also an important place for two other major events. This is where Joshua led the children of Israel. Moses stayed on the other side. Joshua brought, brought the children of Israel across. Mm. Not too much later from that time, about another thousand years, there's going to be another event there. Elijah and Elisha are on the other side. Elisha goes up into heaven. Elijah goes up into heaven on the Jordan side, and then Elisha comes across the river in the same place. And then another thousand years later, 800,000, 800 years later, two men are on the other side, Jesus and John the Baptist. And John the Baptist stays on that side, and Jesus crosses the Jordan River right at that place back into the promised land. Wow, There's three sets. Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, and Jesus and John the Baptist all cross at that same point. Well, anyway, <clears throat> the Passover is coming. Abraham's sign of the covenant with his people is circumcision. And that is a painful operation. It's not so bad when it's a little infant boy, but I know about it because my son was four years old when he was circumcised because three different pediatricians told us that it's better not to circumcise children, that they had decided that now in the United States. So we said, okay, we'll follow the lead of three pediatricians that are good guys. We knew them, but he kept getting infected and had problems. So at four years old, we got out the flint knife, but actually it was a, done in the hospital with stainless steel and anesthetics. But yeah. <laughs> I never felt so sorry for a kid in my whole life. I could see he was in pain for a week. But can you imagine, it says 600,000 fighting men who drew the sword and Joshua got them all lined up and said, okay, guys, we got a whole bunch of flint knives here. We got some work to do. Now, this was done on the other side of the, on the, on the Israel side of the Jordan River before Passover. And if you want to know how earthy the Bible is, the name of the place was called the Hill of the Foreskins. There you go. <laughs> is that still known uh, today as that with that name? 
Well, it's it's not known. Well, it's known in the Bible by that name, and it's in Hebrew. They, I think, the translators of the Bible like it in Hebrew because it. <laughs> Nobody knows what that word means, but if you look up the meaning of the word, it means the hill of the foreskins, wow. and uh, and so it was done right across the Jordan uh, before they came up to Jericho, and uh, when they and by the way, I've come across that. Jordan River so many times. I've been over at that point in the river probably 150, 160 times on both sides of the river. And this movie uh, that we did on Mo Elijah and Elisha for next month, you know, we filmed part of it right in that river, right on that place. And when you look out across the river, you're at the lowest place where these children of Israel are. They're at the lowest place on the face of the earth. If Mount, if Mount, um, uh, what's the top mountain? Not Mariah. Just skipped my mind. Anyway. Different to Mariah? No, you're not thinking of Mariah? Mount Mariah, no, no, Mount Hezron? Um, it's in India, Tibet. Everest? Wow, that's a, I must be getting old. <laughs> anyway, that mountain, this is the lowest place on the face of the earth. Yes. And it's 1,250 feet below sea level. And so, and it's always very hot down there. So they are looking as soon as they're over now, what do they see? They see Jericho. It's the oldest city on the face of the earth. It has two claims to fame, Jericho. It's the oldest city, 10,000 years of constant uh, civilization, 10,000 years. Imagine that. And it's the lowest city on the face of the earth. And it has a beautiful spring, which produces a, um, a thousand gallons of water a minute in the desert. So they come, that's what they have to do next is go take over that city. And they march around it seven days, seven times during seven days. And everybody knows that song. Joshua took the battle of Jericho, 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 Joshua in the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Now I won't <laughs> get that out of my head for the next week, that tune, but uh, they took over that city. Now, interesting. There was a woman there named Rahab and she was a harlot and they found out about her and she took them in her house was her dwelling was on the wall so they found out about her they went in and the harlot protected them and took care of them and she became in the line of Jesus actually and when you look at the lineage of Jesus in the book of Matthew it mentions Rahab the harlot that was married into the line, into the, uh, the the Israelites took her because she protected them. And when they destroyed Jericho, they protected her, and she became one of them, married into the families, and eventually became one of the ancestors of Jesus. So Jesus has a few skeletons in his closet, as far as some of the uh, ancestors that he has. Then he had more than one harlot, if I remember right, and some other uh, unsavory folks as well just shows that he really did come down and become a man and one of us. So they took over Jericho and then a city named Ai, and then they were on a roll across the land to conquer it. Wow. So, I mean, this is a picture of uh, the Christian life. I mean, the way they conquer the land. Uh, how old was Joshua again um, at this time? He was 110 years old when he died. Wow. You know, there, there's um, some of these guys in the Bible that were really – um, old and they their careers didn't begin until their later part of life the really important things that they did like Caleb Caleb and Joshua out of all of the people in the promise uh, in the desert in the wilderness and in Egypt only two of them came across because the others all doubted they said well there's giants over there we're gonna all die and 
Caleb and Joshua said, no, God will give them into our hands. And uh, so God says, those are the only two men that are going to go across. Caleb continued to fight along Joshua. He took over the whole area of Hebron to the south where Abraham was buried, actually. And he died at 110 with a sword in his hand saying, give me more of them. I'm ready to fight. And uh, Joshua, he led him all the way up until he's 110 years old. And uh, his famous line, which a lot of Catholics have in their home, I know my daughter has it in her living room, the one that just had the new baby, says, as for me, he gives them a talk before he dies. He said, look, your ancestors worship foreign gods. Abraham and his ancestors, they worship foreign gods on the other side of the Euphrates River. God called you out and brought you here. He's given you this land. He's done all of these things for you. And if you want to go serve the other gods, you go right ahead. You go ahead and be idolatrous and sinful if you want. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. I think every Christian family should have that verse up on their wall. And it's becoming more and more significant because it's becoming more and more difficult to be a Christian and a Catholic in our world today. And it's nice to have that statement. Your kids grow up seeing those words. As for me, the father saying, and for the head of the house, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Yes. And that's what Joshua said right before he died. And then a whole new era comes in, the whole era of coming across the Jordan and conquering the land. The land of the conquest is over now. Now we have a period called the Judges, and they have their own book. And there were 15 different judges over a period of about 300 years. And they were not kings, but they were called judges. And we know some of them, Gideon and Deborah and Samson. Some yes. are very un, you know, unmemorable, only have one verse in the Bible with their name. But some of them have great stories like Samson and Gideon and Deborah. I always tell Deborah's story when we go to the Mount of Transfiguration, which, by the way, we're going to be going in Mar uh, April of 2022 with Harvest Tours out of Australia. Yes, looking and forward it's to that. It's going to be just an Aussie trip. I'm not an Aussie, but I can I can be an Aussie for two weeks. I'm yeah. even going to wear my <laughs> kangaroo skin hat that I got that you gave me when I was down there, Charbel, in Australia. That's and, right. Uh, look, that's I, April, I can't wait for that trip to be with you. April 2023. And 22, 22, 2022 and uh, a bunch of Aussies on the trip. And I've got a great priest too. You guys will love him. Anyway, Deborah was at the Mount of the mountain of the transfiguration and she brought a great victory for Israel there. And we know the story of Samson. We don't go into all these guys, but for about 300 years, they did not have a King. God was their King. It mm. was called a theocracy. Ocracy means government of, and Theo means God. So Theo, Democracy, government of God, and he was their king, and they kept getting into trouble. Can you imagine that? The <laughs> people of Israel were always going after foreign gods. They were always seduced by them. We'll talk about that next month. Why? When yes. we talk about the prophets, why the people of Israel so were easily seduced by all of these foreign deities of the land, and. So they kept getting into trouble. And there's a cycle. And you can understand the book of Judges by understanding this cycle and the main key phrase, the people did what was right in their own eyes. Mm. It says that throughout the book. And that got them into trouble. They had no king. They only had an army, which was like a reserve army. They'd all go back to their, each one had their own allotted territories and in those territories, they had their own farms and they had all of their industry. 
And when the war came, all of the men had to pick up their swords, say goodbye to their family, go join. And one of the judges would lead them into battle. But there was no king. There was no kingdom in that sense yet. And they did what was right in their own eyes. And what would happen is they came in there. They did not conquer the land like they were supposed to. They left pockets of Canaanites. For okay. example, the Philistines, they never cleaned that nest out. They never pushed them off. They just left them there. And there were some Gibeonites that they they'd left around. And those people became a thorn in their side. They kept causing problems for them, enticing them to marry their women. And then they would get following after their gods and all kinds of problems happened. So here's the cycle. And it tells you the whole story of Judges, 15 different times this cycle went around. They were happy. They were following God. They had repented of their sin. They were saying, God will follow you. You're the only God. We'll get rid of the idols. And then God would bless them. That's what happens when you give your life to God and you obey him. He blesses you. So God blesses them. They have good harvest, lots of rain. Their population grows. Everything is wonderful. And then they get fat and lazy and they start to forget about God. When people are rich and young and healthy and all of those things that make people think that they're independent, they don't need anybody else. I'm mm. happy, rich, young, strong, handsome. I don't need God. And whether they say it or not, they begin to live that way. They live for their crops and their money and they build bigger barns and say, look how rich I am. And then God has to punish them. And how does he do it? He lets one of those other countries, one of those other groups of people come in and do battle against Israel and defeat them. And then they cry out to God, oh, God, we're so sorry. Please, we've sinned. We repent of our sins. Will you save us? God brings one of the judges along. The judges lead the armies out. They defeat those enemies. They liberate Israel again. And now they're all devoted to God again. And God blesses them again. And then they start getting fat and happy again and rich and they forget uh, there's the cycle goes around again and around again and around again and they keep doing what's right in their own eyes and that is the story of judges in a nutshell so there we get kind of through the judges and and then we come to a point in time uh where david well well, they 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 want a king yes and they, they say we want a king like the other nations. And so then everything changes. God has to, he says he's hurt. God's feelings are hurt. He wants to be their king. Why do you want a king? And they hurt God's feelings. So I'll let you get a word in edgewise now. <laughs> no, it's interesting. I mean, um, first of all, how true it is today uh, that we we are our own God. We, we do what's right in our own eyes. Not much has changed since then. And we, we want to do things on our own power. And, and God just lets us be. And, and then we, we learn the hard way. And then we... Are punished and suffering, and and then we beg God again, and we tend to just have one type of prayer these days: God help me get out of this mess, or God help me. And it's always me, 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 and so we've got to really transform our prayer in, into many other angles these days, and start thanking God and glorifying God and adoring God and asking for His mercy and all these things that we forget to do. It's always about help me like a vending machine. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And in the Book of Romans, it says that the people. They did not acknowledge him as God, nor did they give thanks. So wow. God gave them over to the what they wanted, and it was always to their detriment. God doesn't force us to follow him. 
That's right. He woos us like a lover. Yes. He does things nice for us. He calls us. He even makes us suffer sometimes to see how much we need him. But he woos us like a lover. And if and if we don't acknowledge him as God and give thanks, it says that he gives them over to whatever they want to do. Okay, that's the way you want it. I'll let you have it. But you'll want to come back in the future. But uh, this is what you just said. I like it very much that we even in every period of our life, we should always be acknowledging him to start the day saying, God, I'm going to live my day today. I'm going to recognize every moment that I'm in your presence. I am your servant. You are my father. And I am living in your presence. I want to have an attitude of prayer today. I want to always remember that we're together here, even though I don't see you, you are here. You are in me. You are the great lover of my soul. And that way, like you said, we can avoid getting into all those problems that the Israel gave us an example yes. of. Well, now they, they decide they want a king. Yes. And they, they, they were warned, weren't they? If they do get a king, there'll be this king will... Do like tax them and take their land, and 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 they'll be they'll be forced into some form of slavery. And, yep. and they said, "We want a king. We want a king." Now the king rules over them. He says, "Your king will take your money. Mm. He will take your sons for the battles. He will take your daughters to serve in his in his kingdom. He will tax you. He will conscript your men into the, all of these things are going to happen. And he's going to have lots of horses, and it's going to." And the people still said, we want a king like the other nations. That's exactly how they said it. They refused to obey the voice of Samuel, it says. They said, no, but there shall be a king over us. And we will also go out like all of the other nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Not you anymore, God. We're abandoning you as our king and we want a real king. And I think God's feelings are hurt as much as God can have feelings hurt, but um, it was a disappointment. So he chose a man named Saul, who, interestingly enough, is was the tallest man in Israel, says that he was head and shoulders taller than any other man in Israel. And it specifically says that he was very handsome, <laughs> very handsome, very tall, strong, the kind that you would see that should be the king. But Saul was a great warrior, but he was not a great follower of God. And he would go out and do battle because they still had those pockets. Remember those pockets of guys yes. that they hadn't cleared out of the land and they kept causing problems. And the number one was the Philistines. And by the way, if anybody doesn't know this, that the name Palestinian today derives from the name Philistine. When the Romans kicked the Jews out in 70 AD, they wanted to insult the Jews. So they named their land after their arch enemy, the Philistines, and they called it Palestine. Okay, That's where wow. that name That's came good. from, if anybody didn't know. Very interesting. So we now have uh, Saul. Now, there's one character here that we really should mention. And in my movie on the kings that you showed a minute ago, I'll show it again because I can't see you. But this one is called uh, David and Solomon expanding the kingdom. And I start this movie actually with a man named Samuel, who was the first of the prophets. And God used him mightily to set up this kingdom. And he's the one that anointed Saul. And he said, whenever you need to know what God wants, you come to me. I'm his prophet. 
and you will know what God wants. But oftentimes, uh, King Saul didn't do that. And one time, in particular, he said he was in a hurry to find out what to do. And he didn't go to Samuel. He didn't wait. He went to the witch of Endor. This is the occult. He went to the witch of Endor and said, what should I do? And God said, because you have done this, Saul, because you didn't listen to me and my prophet Samuel, and you went to a witch instead, mm. the kingdom will be ripped from your hands. And then God sent Samuel to a little town of Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. That comes right out of, by the way, uh, the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. That song, Little Town of Bethlehem, is the words of the first verse, uh, second verse of chapter 5 in Micah, which says, Oh, little town of Bethlehem, too small to be among the clans of Judah, yet from you shall come the great king. It's mm. referring to Jesus. But the first great king, David, he came from the town of Bethlehem. He was the ancestor of Jesus, and Jesus is referred to as the son of David. And so David now, is, they, uh, Samuel comes there, and he brings his horn of oil. In my movie, by the way, I have a horn. It's a big horn from an, um, an ox. Yes. And they would hollow that. it out and fill it with oil and have a, like a cork. And he came with his horn of oil to find the new king that God was going to show him who would become the new king of Israel. And he comes to Jesse. I named my son Jesse because Jesse was the father of David. And I thought that was cool. I'd call him Jesse. Um, and he said to Jesse, all of his sons, uh, this is not the one. This is not the one. Call them all in you. Okay. Not him, not him, not him, not him. He says, it's none of these sons. Don't you have another son? And uh, Jesse said, well, I got the little redheaded runt. The little guy out with a sheep, he's kind of red. That's what he calls David ruddy. That means red. He probably had redder, kind of a red hair and a lighter complexion. And you, the, the little runt out there, the one that we send out to take care of the sheep, you, Samuel says, go get him. And that little David came back in there and he poured that horn of oil over his head. Now, you know, in the church today, when bishops get anointed, it's kind of wimpy, actually. They just take the uh, oil and they, <laughs> put a little bit of it on his forehead, but, but you know, they had, they knew how to do it in the old times. They just poured that oil right on their head and it would <laughs> drip down their face and into their clothes. And when I was there making this movie, I did exactly that. When I showed in Bethlehem, how David was anointed with oil, it was a horn of oil that I poured over my head to show what it was like. Our movies have to be authentic. Yes. So I love it. now we have David is hiding from, Saul. Saul wants to kill David because he knows that David is going to become the king and it's going to take it away from his son, Jonathan and his other. So in other words, the king would be the king and then his son and then his son and the son. But all of a sudden that dynasty, that um, sequence of sons now is disrupted because God has chosen another family because he took it away from Saul because of his disobedience. Now he's going to pick another one to be the king and he picks David. So Saul is out to kill David so that he can ensure his own sons stay in the family line. And uh, so there's fighting going on. And I just thought this would be kind of fun. This, these are real, this is a real sword from oh, wow. the time of David. This is 3000 years old. You can still see the nubs here where it was put into a, a lance yes so this is real archaeology this is a real one i got in israel from an antiquities dealer now we went one of the times that david was hiding from samuel he went into what's called the cave of adullam and he wrote a psalm from there 
He wrote Psalm 57, 57, if I remember right, I've got it here. Um, and he wrote a song, yeah, Psalm 57. He wrote it from the cave of Adullam when he was hiding for his life. And he had 400 mighty men surrounding him that took care of him. Mighty men. These guys, so one of them killed 300 Egyptians by himself. But they had slings and they have found these sling stones. This is a real sling stone, by the way. And it's they chipped them at night around the fire so that they're like a about the size of a tennis ball. And when they would go into military, these were the weapons that David and his men used. And they would put them in a sling and sling it. And, and they have, when they uh, do archaeology around the walls of cities, they find piles of these at the base of those city walls because they were slinging and they'd miss and they'd hit the wall and come back down. And so there'd be a pile. They discovered piles of these. Now, I went into the cave of Adullam. I bought this one, by the way. Yeah. But I went into the cave of Adullam. We found it. It was way back in a forest. Nobody even knew it was there. We had to find it by GPS. It took. I, I had to hire some guys to even help me find this cave. And it was big enough to house 400 men. It was a huge cave underground with only a small entrance. But when I went in there, I went to the back and I found a sling stone. It's broken. You can see kind of it's a half year broken. But that is a, exactly the sling stone, just like this one. And I'm convinced quite completely that this was a sling stone from one of David's mighty men, 3000 years old. And I found it in that cave. So that's one of my treasures. I just wow. love having stuff like that. That would hurt. I tell you. <laughs> in, my, in my museum here, my biblical museum. But anyway, David then would, he, he was loyal to Saul. And he said, he snuck in one time and Saul went into another cave to go to the bathroom, said he stepped aside. When you read in the Bible, they said they stepped aside. That means they're going to the toilet. And David snuck in because Saul then fell asleep. He took a nap in the cool of the cave. And David sliced part of his, uh, you know, he took this knife here that I have, sliced part of his robe off, went through the valley up on the other side of the mountain. And then he took the, his uh, Saul's spear and stuck it in the ground at Saul's feet. And he said, Saul, wake up. I'm David. And they, and Saul says, I'm going to kill you. And David says, why would you kill me? I'm one of your loyal servants. Look, here's a piece of your robe. I was just in your cave when you were taking a nap. Look at your spear. I used your spear. It's in the ground. I have a piece of your robe. I could have killed you, but I didn't because you are God's anointed king. Yes. And I'll be king only in God's time. I'm not going to kill you to be king. That's God's job. I will be king only after you die, but I could have killed you, but I didn't. So there was this time. Now, finally, um, Saul commits suicide. He is fighting on the mountains of Gilboa with the Philistines and his son, Jonathan is killed and all of his other sons were killed. And it says that Saul told his armor bearer to kill him. The armor bearer says, no, I would never do that. So David felt, I mean, uh, Saul fell on his own sword and killed himself in front of the Philistines. And then David became the king. He went up to Jerusalem and set up his kingdom. Wow. So now even into the real life of David and Solomon's only a short part towards the end. So we're doing pretty good there. Yeah, let's talk about um so um we're talking about uh quite a few different times here. So what are the books we are in what book at the moment in the Bible? Well, we've moved through today the book of Joshua and Judges. First Samuel yes. is the story of Samuel becoming the prophet and him uh with Saul and all of that. That's first and second Samuel. Um, and David is also at the end of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. So we're in 1 and 2 Samuel is the story of Saul and David. 
And then when we get into the next book that we'll cover today is First and Second Kings. That's where Solomon comes in after David dies. So we've covered Joshua, Judges, and now we're, and, and Ruth is a little four chapter book. And we didn't bring her up because that's just, a, 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 just one little isolated story. Um, and I wrote a commentary about it and it's a, it's a fascinating story, but we're now in first and second Samuel, where we're talking about the first prophet named Samuel and the choosing of Saul of, and then now David as the king. And so the first and second Samuel, that's what we're doing. Fantastic. So now we're, um, d- now we're up to David and, and, and let's talk about his life. What was, how was he, how did he uh, fare as a king? What was David like as a king? Um, and, and let's talk a bit about that. David was a remarkable man that had a remarkable heart for God. Mm. Even a couple times the Bible refers to him as David. Actually, I'll, um, I'll read this passage. It says that, um, but he said, the kingdom will continue. The Lord has sought out now a new man. God is ta- Samuel is talking to Saul, telling him, your the kingdom is still going to go on, but it's not going to be with you and your sons anymore. You forfeited that by your disobedience. But now your kingdom shall your kingdom shall not continue, but the, the Israel will, but not your kingdom. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over the people because you did not keep what the Lord commanded you. This is very important. You know, there's so many people today that say we're saved by faith alone. And there's once saved, always saved, eternal security kind of stuff. But you look back at the people of God, there's much required of us. And every time judgment is made, when it says that at the end of time, we're going to be judged, it is never based on our faith. It is always based on our works. And here you see, why did God remove Saul? Because he did not do what the Lord commanded him. And the commandments are still incumbent upon us. And we will be judged by, yes, if we had faith and were baptized, that's the beginning of it all. But how are you going to live your Christian life? How are you going to conduct yourself before God with his commandments and your morality and your holiness and how you treat your family and those people around you? All of those things are extremely important in God's eyes. And you see it here. He picks David, who's a man after his own heart, who wants to do what God wants, and he removes Saul, because Saul would not do what the Lord commanded. So he picks David. Now, David is a man who really loves God. In a way, he's a simple guy. He um, he takes over Jerusalem, and he now goes out as the great warrior. He knows that his job is to finish what Saul, Joshua and Saul didn't do and conquer the land, and he does that. And he's faithful. There's no foreign gods during his time. Yahweh is the God. He wants to build the temple for God. He wants to do what God wants. He uh, he has too many wives. That was a bad thing. But overall, he had a heart for God, and he kept the people of God loyal to him. And that was uh, that was key to God's love and um wanting to work with David. The Jews look to David as the quintessential king. He is the king that is above all kings. That's why the Messiah, when the Messiah will come, will be the son of David. He will do what David did. He will be like David. That's why in this movie called David and Solomon, it's all about the church, how Jesus, the son of David, is building the church. And I'm using the whole story of 
of Saul and David and Solomon to show how God is using working in the church today, because it's still the kingdom. The church is his kingdom. And so David, he moved into Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if you can see this or not, but this is the whole the whole yep. city of old Jerusalem. But if you look right there, you see that red part, the red outline. Yep. That was the actual city of David. David did not take over Temple Mount and have all of the huge area of Israel that we see during Jesus's time. David was a thousand years before Jesus, and they only had that little part was called the city of David. It was on a little hillside coming off from the main mountain of Jerusalem, okay. and it was called the city of David. Today, it's called Siloam, and it was only about 10 acres in size. David's whole kingdom, Walden, was only 10 acres in size, but that was his kingdom, and he took it over from the Jebusites, and that's where he now built his palace. And then he felt bad. He says, look, at, I've got this wonderful palace I'm living in. I'm living. It's made out of cedar, and I want to make God a house. Now, we all know God doesn't live in a house. He created everything, and the mm -hmm. earth is his footstool, he said. Who can, how can I, you give me anything? How can I live anywhere? I am everywhere. I'm a spirit. I'm all places at all times. But he said, I will because I love you. I want to be with you. Therefore, if you build me a house, I will put my presence in that house. There'll be a cloud of glory and that cloud will represent my presence. And guess what? He still wants to live with us and he still has a house and he still wants to be present because he loves us just like in Israel. But now it's called the church and he is always present with us in the sacrament because of the sacrament of the Eucharist, because he wants to be there for us. He wants to be close to us and he wants us to be close to him. So we still are able to see that glory cloud of God in a sense and in a tabernacle. And this is where the body and blood of Jesus is. See, the church is very much the carrying on of Israel. The old Israel is now in the church, the new Israel. And when you look at things in the church, you'll always find how they fit back in and where it came from, from the Old Testament. Well, anyway, David now, he wants to build that temple, but God says, you've been a man of bloodshed. I'm going to reserve the temple for your son, but I want you to get everything ready. Okay, so I got another show and tell thing here. And I asked Charbel, can you see him now, Charbel? I can. So do you know those two things? This is bark from the tr cedars of Lebanon. When Fantastic. I went to Lebanon, I went up and I saw the cedars of Lebanon, and that's a piece of the bark from it. And this is one of the pine cones from the cedars of Lebanon, the most majestic trees. There's yes. not a lot of them left anymore because they were such good building material and so useful that people cut them all down. But now they're preserved by the country. It's it's um, they're a national treasure, and they still have some big groves of cedars of Lebanon. But David sent Hiram and a bunch of others who worked for him up in ships up to Lebanon along, it was called Phoenicia back then, the Phoenician yes. coast, Tyre and Sidon. And they got those uh, big logs of cedar wood and they brought them down and then they carried them across Israel up to Jerusalem. And there they built David's house out of that special wood. And they, David collected all that he needed, the gold and the silver and the cedar wood to build the temple. But he didn't have time. He couldn't build a temple. God wanted Sam, a Solomon to build the temple. So that little area that I showed you there, which is the city of David, that's where he lived. When Solomon came in, he, went, he took the kingdom and expanded it. And he went up and took over all of this area called Temple Mount. And that is the Dome of the Rock now, the Muslim Dome of the Rock. But at one time, Solomon's temple stood there on Mount Moriah. Yes. And so Solomon 
expanded David's kingdom and took over all of this area up here too and made it the huge temple compound where the temple, the beautiful temple of Solomon stood. And he built it on Mount Moriah. And for those who were listening for the first show, do you remember where Mount Moriah was? The place where Abraham brought his son to offer him as a sacrifice. Solomon built his temple on the rock where Abraham had offered his son Isaac. We call it the sacrifice of Isaac, but the Jews don't. They say the offering of Isaac, where he was offered because he wasn't killed there. So much history. One day, David was at his palace, and he looked out, and he looked over at the rooftop of another house nearby, And there he saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba who was taking a bath outside. Now, I don't know what you think, but there are a lot of people who do studies in um, how things happen. And some think that Bathsheba was actually trying to get David's attention. Let's put it that way. I'll leave that up. I have a whole thing I wrote about that, but that's not something I'm going to talk much about today. But that David saw her. And he fell in love with her and he sent his servants over to bring him to him. And she came and David did what you can imagine. And he had a son and that son died as a punishment. And then Solomon was Bathsheba's second son with David. So you have here the son, Solomon, coming from a woman who, whether she was tempting David and enticed him to this or whether she was just forced to as a kind of a willing accomplice to it, it was a result of an unholy union. And yet that son Solomon is called the son of David, and he is considered another one of the great kings of Israel. David also, not only did he commit adultery, and he had already a lot of wives, he did not need to do this, but he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then her husband, Uriah the Hittite, And that's significant because Hittite is one of the nations that were the Canaanites that were around there before that they had to conquer. But he was one of the prior nations that Joshua was supposed to kick out. He was one of the Hittites from up in the north. And he became a member of Israel and so much so that he was one of David's chief men. Uriah the Hittite was one of David's most primary warriors and important to David And David was so disloyal, he didn't want this man to find out he'd taken his wife. So he had Uriah killed. He said, take him out to the front lines of the battle and make sure he dies. So not only did David commit adultery, but also murder. And Nathan the prophet came to David. And David was not ready to repent for this. He was enjoying her, I think, and he was maybe uh, enjoying his sin way too much. And you know that a lot of us, we get into sin and we enjoy it and we don't repent right away either. We say, you know, I'm just going to hang on to this thing for a while. I'm kind of enjoying this. Um, You know, I'll, I'll repent in time. But Nathan, the prophet, came to David and said, you, he told him a parable. There was a man who had only one little ewe lamb and another man had a whole flock. And the other shepherd came and took that man's ewe lamb away from him and left him alone. And David said, whoever's done that shall die. And Nathan said, you are the man. Hmm. And so at that point, um, David repents and God says, I will not kill you. In other words, you are absolved of your sin. See, this is one of those 
beautiful cases where you confess your sins and the prophet in this case absolves him of his sins that you will not die, but you will have penalties for it. You will suffer for it. And so the child died. And then David had a choice of three different terrible things to have happen. But he said, um, make sure that the penalty comes on me and not on my people. But anyway, so now didn't we just say a little while ago, Charbel, that David was a man after God's own heart? Doesn't sound That's like right. it to me. No, he's, he's, he's an adulterer and a murderer. <laughs> so how can he be a man after God's own heart? And how can Jesus claim to be the son of David? Would you want your your ancestor, to, the one that's the most famous, to be a murderer and adulterer? But what happens here is God is forgiving. And David might have been a, good, a big sinner, but he was even a greater repenter. Mm. And that is something we can learn from David, a lesson, that yes. we sin too, but always make sure you're a better repenter than you are a sinner and turn away from sin. David did everything he could in his life to resist sin and to fight sin, but he did make some bad choices to sin, but he also then repented of those sins. And God still in the end said, he's still a man after my own heart. And I'll tell you what, Charbel, I want to be known as a man after God's own heart. If there's anything that I want to be at the end of time, when I stand, when I face my grave and I'm looking at my coffin saying, you know, I'm about ready to get put in that box and go under the ground. I want to be known that I was a man after God's own heart. That's my, that's my cry. Yes. Anyway, amen. so David was a great man. Now you have 40 years of Saul. Yep. You have 40 years of David as king. And now we're going to have another 40 years of Solomon. It breaks down very easy. Wow. 40 years each, Saul, David, and Solomon. And you can remember them this way. Saul had a hollow heart for God. David had a whole heart for God. And Solomon had a half a heart for God. So remember, <laughs> each one had 40 years. Saul had a hollow heart. David had a whole heart. And Solomon had a half a heart. We got to jump into Solomon real quickly because we only have about five minutes left. That's according right. to yep. my so Solomon is, David dies and Solomon becomes the king, even though he's young. And the first thing he does is puts his mother on a throne next to him and she becomes the queen mother. And she rules in the kingdom with her young son, Solomon. Solomon asks God, God comes to him actually and says, Solomon, what would you like and I'll give you any request you have because you are the son of David, the man after my own heart, and it's a blessing to your father. I'll give you whatever you want. Solomon, he could have asked for a long life, for riches, for victory, but he didn't. He said, I want to have a heart of wisdom that I can lead your people. And it says that God gave Solomon. He was the wisest man that has ever lived. He was a man of major holiness and wisdom. And he then took all of those, the wood. Now we're into first Kings, first and second Kings. Yep. So we're done. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, we know about first and second Samuel with David and Saul. Now we're in first Kings starts with, with Solomon and Solomon. Oh, by the way, a lot of people say that David probably didn't really exist. He was just created by the Jews to have a quintessential King, but they, uh, that's those who the skeptics who deny this are getting egg on their face. They discovered um, a couple decades ago up in Banyas, where I take my groups to Caesarea Philippi, 
um, up where the tribe of Dan was, they found a stele, which is a stone. It's called stele, S-T-E-A-L-E. It means like a monument where they wrote in kings and people would write in uh, they didn't have paper and pen and computer, so they'd scratch in their victories and they'd do, and then they'd put it at the entrance of their city. Like the king would say, I just went and did this battle and I can't, and he'd write it all out. Well, it mentions the dynasty of David, Daoud. So yes. all the people that said David was probably didn't really exist. All of a sudden now they got egg on their face because there's a 3000 year old stone that was in front of a big kingdom that said, we went out and did battle against the kingdom of Daoud, David and his dynasty. So anyway, that's, that's a good, good point. To know. Solomon builds the temple. It's a beautiful temple. Solomon, like David, is prophet, priest, and king. We didn't have to get we didn't get into that really. They exercise the prophetic. David wrote 73 of the Psalms, and he was a prophet because of that. And he was a king, and he was also a priest because when he brought the sack of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, he put on a, a priestly effort, it's called. He dressed like a priest and he danced and he prayed in front of the temple. So David was is viewed by the Jewish people, even as a prophet, priest, and king, and Solomon as well. And so Solomon builds this beautiful temple, and I'm coming to the end here. I'm going to run through this pretty quick. He builds this beautiful temple, and he steps back, and fire comes down from heaven. He had 70 bulls on the altar, and fire came down and burned all those bulls, and all of the people fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. This is like the pinnacle of the people in the promised land. They all they have the land. David conquered it all. Solomon, David is like the suffering Christ, all the battles and the blood and all the fighting, and Solomon is the prince of peace. You look at David and Solomon, you get the whole Christ, the suffering Christ and the victorious Christ. Solomon is the prince of peace. David was a prince of war. So you got the whole Christ there. Solomon and you have the pinnacle of the kingdom of peace with a temple and they own all the land and all of their enemies have become under their footstool. They're now all subservient to Israel. But Solomon breaks the rules and it says you're not supposed to have other wives. And Solomon married 700 wives and 300 concubines. And it says in the Bible, uh, see if I have it, if not, I, I know what it says. It says that Solomon loved his wives and he clung to his wives more than to God. Solomon loved women and he loved them so much that he built on the other side. I have a picture of it. This is a quick picture. This is a view from, this is from the North looking South over the city of Jerusalem. This is all Jerusalem here. Yes. And right over here is up the Mount of Olives. And that, what you see right there covered in trees is called the Hill of Corruption, the Mount of Evil Council. And Solomon loved his wives, and he went across the Kidron Valley up to the to the mountain there uh, of Mount of Olives, and he built altars to the gods of his foreign wives, Chemosh and Moloch, some that required infant sacrifices. You burn the babies in the fires of Boy. these gods. And Solomon went up and built those altars. And the wisest king, the one who was the wisest of all, played the fool in his old age. And God says, I will rip the kingdom from your hand now, too. That's why I said Solomon had only a half a heart for God. The first half of his kingdom was, and he built a great temple. But at the end of his life, he goes after the other gods, and he loves his women and his thousand women. Solomon is a very busy man. Thousand <laughs> women. Can you imagine that? And he That's then right. went after their gods. So God took the kingdom away, but not from him, but from his son, Rehoboam. So now we have Solomon dies. You know, David is considered a saint. Moses, Noah, Moses, all of these are considered saints, but not Solomon. 
and not Saul, mm. because both of them turned away from God and they lived an unholy life and they disobeyed the commands of God. But David is King David and he has his own feast day. And in the movie, I talk about all of that. So David and Solomon, now the, the kingdom splits with Solomon's son. Yes. The Ten northern tribes go to the north. We're going to talk all about that next month when we talk about the prophets. But the northern ten tribes go to the north, and they really disobey God. They start worshiping golden calves again. They built a golden calf and said, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. And they're bowing down to golden calves. And Dan and Bethel, two different places, they built their own temples. And God took them into exile with the Assyrians in 762 B.C., and we have no idea where they went. They disappeared from history in the face of the earth. The northern ten tribes. Then and the people that Judah, the, the tri tribe of Judah, and some Levites, and some from the tribe of Simeon, because they were mixed in there. But when you say the word Jew, it comes from the tribe of Judah. When you say Judaism, it comes from the word, the tribe of Judah. Yes. There's only one tribe. Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. It's the kingly tribe. It stays with Jerusalem. But in 586 BC, they also were so stubborn and rebellious. All of the different kings that came along brought in foreign gods. And we'll talk about all that next time. And God God sent the northern tribe into exile, 762 8 BC, and they disappeared. And the southern tribe of Judah, they disappeared in 586. They went into Babylon. 70 years later, God brought them back. And that's where we pick up the story of the prophets. So we did J Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles today. And we're going to move into uh, the story of the prophets. Fantastic. Wow. That's a mouthful. That was that was a uh, jam packed. <laughs> thank you very much, Steve. Um, I'm. Uh, I, I want to say thank you for doing this in in a DVD series, and we can see why now. Um, there's so much detail, and I encourage everyone if if you have just brisked over this in, in your past, go back to the Bible and read it again with all these details, with this insight. I encourage you. I'm holding my hands right now. The DVD, David and Solomon expanding the kingdom. And we are doing a special throughout this whole nine months, this this series. And there it is. Steve Ray's holding it too. 20% off. You go to the Perusia website and then you pop in the code PP for Perusia Podcast, SR for Steve Ray, and then FOG for Footprints of God. And you'll get 20% off, not just this DVD, but the whole series as well. So that's all on and sale there, now. And each one has a study guide. There's no other yes. study guide about David and Solomon and the kingdom like this one. There's nothing else. And it's very easy and all tied to the Bible and the catechism. And I, that's what to do. If you're in the United States watching this, you can go to my website, catholicconvert.com. Yes. And uh, But if you're in Australia over there, make sure you buy it from Perusia. But um, if you're up here and you want to get it from us, catholicconvert.com. Our website, all our pilgrimages. And uh, I, I want you to buy from Charbel because he's got a great ministry and that's part of the way they make their money is by selling products. He's got a lot of my talks and all my DVDs and books. So please patronize his shop and help uh, Charbel and his family out because I know they're worthy. God bless you. No, thank you very much. Uh, and I'm looking forward, Steve, uh, next week you will be on the um, Rosary Pilgrimage. and uh, on the you Rosary Pilgrimage. Beautiful. Done and, a meditation and, on the visitation. Yep. That's a very exciting one, by the way. The whole thing is Luke is telling you who and what Mary is embedded in the text that nobody sees unless you know your Old Testament. Yes. But wow. it's a very exciting uh, conversation on that second mystery, a joyful mystery. There you go. Completely free. 
to register. Go to perusiamedia.com, register for the Rosary Pilgrimage, and you'll see uh, this man right there, Steve Ray, as uh, the second Joyful Mystery. It's such a powerful uh, event, 23,000 so far and counting. So let's pray that we can hit 30 or 40,000. Who knows, whatever Our Lady wants and may have a big impact on our world today. And if you're in the United States and you want to help our family a little, go to my website and click on that rosary from my website. Yes, absolutely. So go to, is it on the Catholic Convert website? Catholic Convert, and it's up there now. You can see that beautiful banner about the rosary. You click on that, you can sign up for free. And if you do it through my website, if you're in America, you want to do it through my website, that would help our family too. So thank you and God bless. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Steve, for joining us. And uh, and we'll be in touch. And next month we'll bring it on. And the, we'll, we're looking forward to the next uh, part of the the virtual pilgrimage. Um, Elijah and Elisha and the prophets, and that will bring us all the way up to the New Testament. Beautiful. That's exciting. Well, Thanks, we are Sir out Bill. of time. Thank you, everyone. Um, and again, just go to the website perusiamedia.com, and of course, please check out catholicconvert.com as well. And thank you again. Pray for us. You are in our prayers. May God bless you. And until next week, take care. <laughs>